All right, and welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast of the University of Wisconsin Green Bay Psychology Program. I'm Ryan Martin, chair of the psych program and host of Psychology and Stuff. And I've got three really great guests today. Um, so first and foremost, we have uh, a social psychologist who studies how culture shapes our minds and brains. That's Dr. Sawa Sanzaki. How are you, Sawa? Good. Hi, Ryan. Good. Thank you for being here. We also have two of your research mm-hmm. assistants with us. Um, so uh, first, Kristen Weideman. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. I pronounced it right, right? Kristen. Kirsten. Kirsten. Yep. I thought that's what I said, but maybe I didn't. Okay, my bad. <laughs> um, and uh, and then also Katrina Weber. Hello. Great. So thank you all so very much for being here. Um, I guess my my first question that I want to ask, because I want to talk a lot about kind of the, some of the research you're doing, some of the recent stuff mm-hmm. you've been doing, but I think my first question is, how did you get interested in this? You know, where did where did things start from you? Sure. So originally I'm from Japan and that's where I grew up. Um, I went to high school. I still have my families there. And when I was in high school, I wanted to study art therapy originally and I couldn't find a program in Japan. So I decided that I'll find somewhere to go. <laughs> and I found a program at UW-Superior. That's why I did I did my undergrad. Okay. Um, and I studied psychology and art therapy and I realized that I was not going to be a great therapist. That was just not my job. <laughs> I realized that I'm not really good at helping people or um, <laughs> in that line. But I did really like doing research. And I guess my background, um, coming from Japan, living in Superior, Wisconsin, um, made me interest in learning more about how culture shapes our kind of mind in general, but our how psychological processes work. So that's where I kind of started okay. beginning. Great. Yeah. And so for for both the, the student research assistants, first of all, how long have you been working with Sawa? Um, this is my second semester with her. Second semester, okay. I helped over the summer, so it's kind of like a third semester for me. Okay, super, okay. And so, um, what drew you to this type of research, and how did you get interested and involved in that? Um, for me, I guess I plan to be a child psychologist, so really anything with the word like kids, infants, <laughs> babies in it, it like interests me, so okay. I guess that's kind of how I found it. Um, and as it was kind of shortly after I declared a double major in human development, I was always the psych major. Um, my advisor, Kate Burns, was like, oh, if you want to be with the children, you should do this with Sawa. So mm-hmm. that's what brought me to it. Very good. <laughs> good. How about you? I had just finished research methods in psychology, and I really enjoyed doing research. So I wanted to look more into doing more research opportunities. And I've always liked working with kids, so right. Sawa was originally a good fit for me. Okay. Very good. So what, um, what type of projects have you done? You know, what, what's some of the recent stuff you've been working on? Obviously, no spoilers yeah. for mm-hmm. studies. You know, cutting-edge <laughs> stuff. We don't want other people stealing your ideas. But what, what is, what's some of the yes. work you've been doing, and what are some of the big so findings? R- we have a couple different projects. But right now, the main project that we're working on is um, how babies understand kind of good and bad and how um, that might be shaped by their cultural background. So I think... Dr. Jason Cowell talked about morality last yes. Yes, <laughs> once. Yes, he was our guest last yeah, week. Yeah, so I think ago. it's kind of a good um, segue from that too. But um, so so obviously there are different um, different layers of morality. But one of the ideas is that some of the basic morality, like 
understanding who are good people and who are bad people might be um, developing really early, or possibly we might, we were maybe born with that kind of capacity to understand who are good and who are bad. So some newer research are working with infants as young as three to six months, babies can, um, to some degree, can tell who are good people and bad people, which is very interesting because for a long time... What age? I'm sorry. Seven three again. to six months. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. so they don't really speak a language yet. Right. They make noise and they cry, but <laughs> they can't... <laughs> <Not> mind. <laughs> Never mind. But, yeah. <laughs> but they, can't, they can't, you know, tell you who are good people or bad people in the language that we understand. Um, but there are some newer methods that can kind of understand what's going on in their mind um, to some degree. So, how do, Can you tell me a little bit about how about that part? I mean, yeah. How, what are some of those methods? Yeah. So do you want to, you guys want to talk about kind of the habituation stuff? or? Sure. Yeah. So um, in our study, like what we do is they watch a puppet video. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so in the video, there's these little puppets. There's an elephant trying to open a box because there's a prize inside. And um, there's also a pig and a bear puppet. And we have a, several different variations of the video, but either in them the bear would be mean and like slam the um, the cover down while the elephant's trying to open it or then the pig would try and help it open it or it can switch either way um, and so I guess with the habituation part we had the child watch it at least three times and then we're kind of calculating um, through like when they're looking at the screen and when they're looking away um, and we kind of have a computer system that tells us once they've been like habituated, but they can watch it up to 14 times, which just kind of varies for the child. But it's only like a two, three minute video. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so basically the idea is that when they are not looking at the video, which suggests they are bored, which suggests they have learned that information, mm-hmm. that one is being mean and one is being nice, then we ask the babies if they want to play with the bear, who was mean in that situation, <laughs> or the pig, who was nice in that situation. So that's kind of how we tell. Okay. And then they, yeah. and mm-hmm. it sounds like they gravitate to. Yeah, the they tend to pick the nice the one, nice one. Mm-hmm. Okay. at very early age. Huh. So yeah, so that's kind of interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we, um, so that was the original research that's been um, conducted uh, by different researchers. So we are doing a follow-up study by doing cross-cultural aspects. So we have research uh, we are doing in here in Green Bay, and we have collaborators in Japan. And we are conducting our studies with, um, we have six to 18 months old babies. So anybody who have babies <laughs> want to participate in the study, that would be great. Um, but um, we uh, ask to do the same thing. And also we ask the parents to talk with their babies, kind of what they're observing. So the idea is that what kind of things parents are trying to teach their children and so far, we've been finding that there are some cultural differences in the way parents interact with their children. So should I just talk about yeah, that? Okay, all right. So, so American moms are more likely to talk about, oh, he's mean, or oh, she's nice. So talk a lot about that kind of social evaluation of mm-hmm. those characters. Um, and Japanese moms don't do that as often as American moms. Instead, they are more likely to say things like, oh, the elephant was happy that somebody was helping him, or oh, the elephant is sad. So they talk a lot more about emotions and kind of like mental states of that, um, the, those characters. Hmm. 
Um, so that's been kind of interesting for us. We haven't seen much difference in infants um, in terms of cultural differences, which is mm -hmm. not surprising at that age. We didn't really expect to see any differences mm -hmm. at that young age. So I think there are some practices and socializations need to happen before they um, develop that kind of a culturally unique patterns. Hmm. Yeah, I'm so I admit I'm I'm reflecting. I'm thinking of my kids right now yeah. as we talk about this yeah. because my um, my oldest is is a little bit obsessed mm -hmm. with quote unquote bad guys. Yeah. He asks, in fact, so he gets really upset by mm -hmm. movies featuring mm -hmm. bad guys. He has a hard time watching those, yeah. and sometimes will oftentimes leave the room if mm -hmm. they're when the bad guys on right. the screen. And yeah. Um, and he's and he often like that's something he'll ask about mm -hmm. a lot later and like yeah. before we see a movie does it have a bad guy in right. it and things like yeah. that and and thinking I know it's very it's it's sort of sweet it's sort of sad mm -hmm. um, but it it also um, part of me has often tried to figure out where mm -hmm. that came from why yeah. why he gets because I, mm -hmm. I I actually try and sort of debunk the the bad guy mm -hmm. myth and talk more about mm -hmm. experiences and things like that. But mm -hmm. with him, I have made zero progress <laughs> in getting him to think about sort of more broadly about like upbringing mm -hmm. and how it influences right. people and stuff. Right. Ironically, the movie that he's really, really, not ironically, but interestingly, mm -hmm. the movie he's really gravitated mm -hmm. to with that is actually Star Wars because oh, we have a bad guy, yes, Darth yes. Vader, mm -hmm. and then we actually learn his origin story right, once right. you watch all yeah. those. And that he that was really, really interesting to yeah. him. Like he, and he had tons of questions uh -huh. about this and yeah. stuff. But, um, so I'm, I'm just thinking about it. Especially, I think part of what's interesting to me is I, I would guess that I'm more like a mm -hmm. Japanese mom in the sense that mm -hmm. I talk more about feeling mm -hmm. states than yeah. I do anything yeah. else. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, just thinking about how that influences. Yeah, yeah, things. I think that's a really great point. And in terms of cultures, it's not like everybody in one culture is A or right. B right. is always um, tend to be more or less. Mm -hmm. and, and and also it's not one is better than the other. It's just the knowing that there are some differences so that when we meet somebody who might show different behaviors, it's not strange right. or crazy or awful <laughs> or right. abnormal. It's just that they're mm -hmm. different patterns of behaviors and it's okay to understand and it's okay mm -hmm. to celebrate those differences so mm -hmm. yeah. very good so what are um what are some other kind of studies you're doing recently mm -hmm. other findings you've you've Do you want to talk about the shape study yeah i've also been helping her with the shape study and we are working with kids ages three to six mm -hmm. and we're trying to see if they can understand singular and plural meanings oh, okay what? so we have four different sets of cards that we use, mm -hmm. and two of them are singular and two of them are plural, as in like the shapes on right. the cards that we give them to see if they can find the patterns that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. I know it's kind of hard to yeah, explain. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea behind was this study was, um, is a collaboration with um, other researchers who were here before, but um, <laughs> but um, so the idea is that the different um, culture as well as language spoken. So in um, English, we would differentiate one pen versus two pens, or one chair versus three chairs. But in um, other languages such as Japanese, um, they don't differentiate. Chair is always chair, and it doesn't matter if there are only one or two or many. Okay. Um, so the concept of singular versus plural might be different in those um, children who speak different language. So we're kind of comparing and contrast again if um, 
if English-speaking children are more sensitive about understanding those differences at an earlier age. And it seems like maybe around age four that um, at age three, kids in both cultures or both language groups have difficult time understanding the concept. But around age four, English-speaking kids are more sensitive than Japanese-speaking kids. Then after age five, um, again, everyone gets better and they are kind of similar. Hmm. So something we don't really know why it's age four right now at this point. And hmm. that's kind of interesting because age four is, you know, kids should be speaking mm-hmm. by then quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So we don't really know what's not, why not at three and it, why it's at four, but something that we've been finding so far. Huh. Yeah. That is very interesting. So I, I think um, what are, what are what are I guess we'll start with mm-hmm. what what are some directions you'd be interested in going next? Yeah. Like, so where do you want to take these yes. lines of research? Yeah. So um, it's it's kind of funny that you set it out, you know, introducing me as a social psychologist, <laughs> and the research I was just talking about is not very right. typical of social right. psychology research. So I was trained um, in social psychology and cultural psychology for my graduate program. And uh, when I was in graduate school, I did a, a lot of research, mainly with adults looking at cross-cultural differences in mm-hmm. thinking processes, attention, um, a variety of things. But I've always been interested in kind of where they come from and how we become the way we are. Mm-hmm. So I'm really interested in looking at kind of the origin of cross-cultural differences and um, and how things are passed down across generations. So I've always said I'm a wannabe developmental psychologist. <laughs> and the classes I'm teaching now are mainly developmental psychology, right. human development classes. So um, I'm not sure if I have passed that <laughs> yet. I think I'm but. a wannabe social psychologist. So <laughs> <Yeah>. that, <laughs> that works out. I think. Yeah. And, then, and Regan was a social psychologist, wanted to be a health right, psychologist. Right. So you can change. Yeah, right? yeah. So, <laughs> so, so. Right. so we wear different hats. But, um, <laughs> so I think I've been really interested in going more in details about the process of how children learn different perspectives across cultures. Mm-hmm. I'm also interested in looking at... Um, different origins, so really hopefully maybe looking into more neural processes, and that's mm-hmm. where I've been talking with, again, Jason, too, but thinking about not just behaviors, but also in terms of um, even like brain activities, how that might be different and how they develop over time and how that might be shaped by our social and cultural environments. Very, very yeah. cool. So what are some of the you know, maybe whether they're your findings or mm-hmm. other people that you follow, what are some of the big findings? Like, if I'm a, a non-psychologist and I'm listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. like, what are some, like, like our producer Kate <laughs> here uh, is pointing at herself, um, what, what, what are some things that you would say are sort of take-homes that you would mm-hmm. want the average people to know about, yeah. about the work yeah. you're doing or the work coming out of your field? Yeah, I think one of the things, um, so I, like I said, I I've studied social psychology, but I'm a wannabe developmental psychologist, so I'm mm-hmm. kind of in the crossroads of many things. And um, in social psychology, um, an idea of conformity, so kind of imitating as a people or mimicking as a people, are oftentimes seen as a bad thing. Like you don't mm-hmm. have your idea or thought and you're just following as a people. But a lot of newer research is suggesting that imitation, um, being able to learn just by watching other people, that's something really unique to human species. Other animals do that too, to some extent, but 
how much we do this all the time is actually really, really interesting. And that seemed to have some kind of evolutional background, why we do that and mm. how that actually helps us to survive. So I think it's interesting to see different fields and how one concept or phenomena are actually um, might be something that's very meaningful for humans. There's, there's been just this, it's funny you're bringing this up yeah. and maybe you've seen it, but there's been a video floating mm-hmm. around Facebook and elsewhere just this week. Uh, uh, it's another sort of conformity video. Uh-huh. It's, yeah. it's people in a waiting room standing okay, up. Yeah, and, I haven't seen it. Yeah. and so there'll be six people. Have you guys seen this at all? I think I have. Yeah. Just so, yeah. It'll be six people in a waiting uh-huh. room and, and, you know, one person mm-hmm. is not doesn't know the others mm-hmm. are all part of the study and the other right. six all stand up and yeah. then he or she sort of sits there looking around oddly uh-huh. and then eventually stands up yeah. too and so mm-hmm. and so it's been you know and it's been you're right it's being pitched as being look how terrible right. this is yeah. you know much like the ash study mm-hmm. was right you know, exactly the, yeah you know, they were in fact even ash i think mm-hmm. said um something along the lines mm-hmm. of you know this is these findings are very disturbing right and, right um and so so you're suggesting that there's some mm-hmm. some good evidence that conformity yeah. isn't a bad yeah, thing sometimes? Yeah, it might be actually a good thing. That might right. be the way that we learn in being able to survive in different environments. Very yeah. good. So how many how many research? I'm curious to know just a little bit about kind of what the you know, and I I know some of this because my kids have actually been participants mm-hmm. in your studies. Yes, <laughs> um, but. For listeners, so what's it like for uh, for a child that's participating in your study? You described one or two studies, but do they, where where do they come from? What do what yeah, is the experience sure. like? <laughs> so we are trying our best to recruit um, many children. So we always appreciate if you have any kids <laughs> who are who yes. might like to visit our labs. But um, uh, uh, they come to our lab. We have many research assistants. They are all very nice like it's <laughs> true i can confirm person. all of this yes so <laughs> they're very nice and we have toys and we have different things um but we usually try to go to places like libraries uh, we place flyers and throughout the town uh, we also see uh information coming from like press gazettes and things like that to mm-hmm. find out newborn babies and also contact them by that uh, way too um, but yeah and a lot of them is just I guess word of mouth and Facebook mm-hmm. has been really helpful okay. advising our advertising our research so okay yeah. and so when they come into the lab like they they meet with the the researchers yep. and mm-hmm. um, yes. yep and they play a game or watch your videos or read a book with their parents depending on the studies that they are participating in um, and uh, yeah and then we just spend about usually an hour or so together and mm-hmm. we'll probably ask some questions to both children and the parents um, kids will take home either a small toy or a book that they participate as they're talking about talking about our appreciation and and hopefully they had fun with us yeah. by the time <laughs> they leave so the the two or three times we have done this, mm-hmm. um, either for you and for mm-hmm. other research projects, here, they um, th- we we make a night of it. We end up coming in and mm-hmm. have dinner actually yeah. at the the Nick, 
um, and um, so we, we eat over there. Mm-hmm. We also, um, I can tell you that the corduroy book that my son mm-hmm. got the first time he participated, <laughs> he participated, it's his favorite book. Oh, good. Um, still <laughs> is, so I think A Pocket for Corduroy is what it was called. I've read it a thousand times. Um, we even bought the prequel, which Sorry. I didn't know existed. No, it's all right. Um, the prequel, just Corduroy, uh, is also yeah, a book he likes yeah. a lot, too. Oh, so. good. Um, yeah, no bad guys. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, everybody's very nice in that book. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, now is the time when we play our game. Unless, okay. uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Any any other sort of burning comments about about your research work you're you're doing? And you guys want to know? I just want to say those who have participated in our research before, thank you so much. Our research cannot be done without the help of those great family members in Green Bay. So we really appreciate your help a lot. Well, that's all I wanted to say. Okay. Awesome. So we play a game every episode called Five okay. Questions, where okay. I draw five questions from my hat, and mm-hmm. we ask you, and okay. you're welcome to pass if you want. Okay. Um, but I think what I'll do is I will, I'll ask, we'll just kind of rotate through yep. if you guys mm-hmm. want to ask questions or something as well. So um, starting here, uh, do you have a favorite newspaper or blog or anything like that? Uh, are you asking me? I was just asking you, you. Oh, sorry. Or I was going to have them ask. Do you guys want to answer questions too? That sounds good. No. Nope. <laughs> yeah, you can answer it too. Okay, go ahead. Okay. We'll start with so, you. Um, <laughs> Thinking about your favorite uh, newspaper and blog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I I feel like a lot of times now I get information from Facebook. So <laughs> I'm trying to think which one is my favorite one. Um, I used to read a lot of New York Times, but not as much as I used to. So. Okay. Yeah. Mostly through Facebook, mm-hmm. some New York Times. Do you have a favorite? I mean, I don't know if it really counts as a blog. It's not an informative blog, I guess, either. So, <laughs> but, like, I usually, like, a lot of the articles that, like, people post on, like, the Odyssey online, those kind of things. Uh-huh. So, like, there's different, like, there's actually like, several students from GB here that, like, write for it. And so you'll find articles that actually like, pertain to GB or, like, my home area. So those are interesting. Very cool. I personally don't have one. You don't have one? <laughs> no. That's all right. I, um... You know, one of the things I'm discovering with this question, because mm-hmm. we've asked a couple times, is how that people's news resources are becoming much more sort of mm-hmm. diffuse than they yeah. used to be. People don't have a go-to anymore. Right. It's like, I get it through the news, or what was the app that you mentioned last time, that Jason mentioned two weeks ago? Maybe? Yeah, maybe. I don't remember. I so, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, an app that, like, mm-hmm. pulls different stuff together. Oh, okay. and yeah. Stuff. yeah. What's your favorite meal? Oh, um... <laughs> Okay, my uh, my family thinks it's kind of silly, but I really like cucumbers. So anything that has cucumbers, I like. So I like cucumber salad um, from my husband's grandmother makes. That's the best cucumber salad ever. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's really not a meal. Sorry, it's just that works. Food, I guess you said that to the right person because I have. We grew. We did a garden this year. Yeah. And. That was m- pretty much the only thing we were successful. Oh, really? Uh, growing were cucumbers. Oh, we had many, many cucumbers. <laughs> we have like twenty jars of pickles in our basement. <laughs> so, favorite meal? Um, pretty much anything Mexican, I guess, like tacos, burritos, enchiladas, anything. Goulash. Goulash. Yeah. All right. My grandma makes the best one. Wow. All right. I've never had goulash. I don't yeah. think. So. All right. Least favorite food. They're all food related from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> Least favorite food. Um, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm really bad at thinking on the spot. Do 
I keep first? asking you to go first. <laughs> I don't know yet either. Um, I'll take cucumbers or blue. I know. <laughs> um, do you have yours yet? Okay, I hate seafood. You don't like seafood? Anything okay. seafood. Really? It's just disgusting. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. No seafood? <laughs> I guess I really don't like olives, whether they're green or black, or mushrooms. Like, I think yeah. it's just the texture of them. Just, I don't like that. We are identical food twins. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're discovering that, so we talked about it on the way down here, too. We like the same favorite restaurants, and we don't like yeah. either of the same foods. Nicely done. <laughs> Easy to go. Yeah, this is good. To um, I, not that ma- I, I, like, I, I eat everything, but I guess one thing I'm thinking about right now for some reason is beets. I'm not a really big fan of beets. I don't know why. Okay. I think you were just talking about pickles. So I was just thinking about <laughs> <laughs> Well, we have some beets at home, too, so I won't bring those in. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, favorite sport? You're ready. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Football, Football, specifically the NFL. All right. <laughs> so, I mean, college is good, too, but definitely. That's all right. Um, bowling or running? Bowling or running? Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. I don't know if yoga is a sport, but that's really the only thing I yeah. can participate in myself. <laughs> but I like watching other sports. I like uh, watching baseball and football is a little too long. A little too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this is it. It's the last one. You know what? It's another food one, so I'm gonna put it away and come back. <laughs> we want some non-food-related questions. Where would you like to go on a dream vacation? Oh, I know that one. <laughs> Ireland. Ireland. I was yeah. going to say the same thing. Two <laughs> <laughs> votes for Ireland? Mine would be um, the Great Barrier Reef off of Australia. So that, but I have to learn to scuba dive first. <laughs> very cool. Well, thank you all very, thank very you. much. This is great. Um, I do like to end just to see if you have anything else you want. To, you know what? You've, you've mentioned, you know, the idea of people participating in the mm-hmm. research. How would they do that? If they if someone's listening right now and says, oh, that yes. sounds interesting, how can they get in touch yes. with you? Yes. If you can email me at S-E-N-Z-A-K-I-S at uwgb.edu, I would be very happy to um, communicating with you. That's probably Perfect. the best way, yeah. All right. Sounds good. Anything else you all want to plug or push or talk about? Are you ever, so how often do you take new research assistants and things like that? Um, every semester I usually have around seven students. I think this semester, do we have eight? Maybe seven? I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have many students. And anybody, if you want to work with um, babies and um, children, um, are also welcome to. Um, we also have a web page for our lab um, Culture and Development Lab, UWGB, and I think you can Google it, and I hope you can find it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds very good. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I also want to thank our producer, Kate Farley, once again. Thank you, Kate. She just said you're welcome, but you can't hear that if you're playing at home. (laughs) Um, and then I also want to thank Kimberly Valise, who did our podcast art, which makes me smile every time I look at it. Uh, next time, which is going to be in two weeks, we are going to be talking to Dr. Chris Vespia about mental health literacy. So that is uh, next time. Until then, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>